We could talk for a long time about the cost of, of higher education. And I have a whole story about how they got there, right? But at the end of the day, you're gonna to have to find a way to provide a lifetime of relationship and that learn to earn. You know, a lot of times, I think higher ed got too focused on graduation and degree attainment and not about actualization after the degree. And that's the place, that's the opportunity. That's where they're gonna find some of the opportunities and solutions to solve their long-term needs. The Digital to Learn podcast is dedicated to exploring both what's new and what's good in the use of technology in teaching and learning. Our mission is to have the best minds sitting in front of our microphones, sharing evidence-based strategies for digital teaching and learning. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Thank you for joining us. And now, the Digital to Learn podcast. Welcome to the Digital to Learn podcast. I'm Tiffany Snyder, and I'm here with my co-host, Brad Garner. Hi, Brad. Hey, hey, Tiffany. Glad to be here. We are joined today. It's part two with John Qualls. Welcome back, John. Thank you. If you didn't get a chance to catch part one, please go back and tune in. Otherwise, we're going to continue where we left off last week on the Digital to Learn podcast. At the start of my career, I was in career services, and I remember going to Indianapolis to some startup events and award shows, word ceremonies, and hearing about 1150 Academy. Didn't know you then, John, but where did you get connected or where did 1150 get connected more directly with higher ed or with IWU? So two parts. First, I did not have a college degree. Kind of ran away from home when I was 13. There's a long story there. But I think one semester I went to school for 21 days, maybe in high school. But then I kind of kind of caught my wind. I wanted to get out of high school as fast as possible. So I had straight F's and straight A's. It's kind of been <laughs> my thing. So that comes to about a 1.95 GPA high school diploma. So I kind of had the opportunity to come in 1150 without any understanding of the higher ed system. But I was trying to figure out how we could reinvent it. And so part of the was learning about higher ed as an outsider and trying to see what is it that worked and what was it that was not working and how we could innovate a different approach to kind of get a better outcome. So that's the higher ed piece. And I think so much to some tremendous professionals who would take the time and explain it to me and share the things that were working and things that weren't working. You know, a lot of times we don't want to air those things out. There's things that aren't working and and they were honest with their frustration and their thoughts. So that's how we got there. So I ran it for the first four years. I do things in kind of three or four year increments. And I had sold a company and I, for maybe about three microseconds, I thought about retiring, but I, I wanted to take a break because I'd kind of been running pretty hard. There were about seven startups or so in a row. And so I transitioned 1150 to the chairman, which happened to be Scott Jones. And it kind of took a nine-month sabbatical. So during those four years while I was away, they've had great success at the cybersecurity program. But after the pandemic, they had taken some dollars there and it kind of made the program free. And then when the dollars dried up, they kind of got into some difficult times. So they started looking for a new operator. I had started a company called Purpose HQ in which I'd had an opportunity to talk with Indiana Westland and start learning or creating a relationship with some of their leadership. And they said, you know, we've been around a long time and we've made a tremendous impact. 
on adult education here in Indiana, we'd like to be seen as more bold and more innovative. And we're thinking about acquiring and running 1150 Academy. And so I was kind of involved in, in just kind of helping out because I poured so much into this in the beginning. And then just as any consultant, I was just like, well, you know, who are you going to have run this thing? And they're like, well, we're thinking maybe you. And I was like, well, <laughs> it wasn't on my radar <laughs> uh, to kind of come back. Uh, I like to say on Thanksgiving, it wasn't on my radar. And then I was announced as the, as the new president on December 16th. So it was kind of a quick <laughs> thing. But that's how 1150 Academy became associated with Indiana Westland University. And for me, you know, it wasn't on my radar. You know, I had to ask permission from my boss, the chief home officer, which is my wife, if she would let me <laughs> do this again, because it is, it consumes me in a way, right? Everything that I do. But I will tell you this story. I don't, I don't tell very often. I was really praying about, you know, it's kind of a thing that I've done. Why would I do it again? But one, I just felt like that I could bring some of the, the past and expertise to it to make sure that, that we could get it back to where it needed to be. But a story that people don't know, in the very beginning of 1150 Academy, it was a really difficult time, and we were about to run out of money. And I met with the commissioner from the Indiana Department of Workforce Development. His name was Steve Braun. And Steve Braun said, I just love everything you're doing here. And I said, I know, but I just... I think we're about to run out of cash and we, we haven't really figured it out yet. He said, well, I can't give you any money, but I do have this innovation grant and you can earn it. So we were able to earn $1.4 million, two bites at the apple, I like to say. And that really allowed the organization for the time to understand what it was solving and, and do that. The reason I tell you that long story is, is as I was praying about getting involved again, I looked on my phone on a, a Saturday evening and it said that Steve Braun had died. And I really didn't, you know, a lot of times when people serve the public in politics, it's easy to just throw rocks at them. But here was someone who I think made a big impact. And I just felt like, you know, maybe it's the universe telling me I should go ahead and jump back into this thing. To just kind of honor so many people who've been involved and how many people it's touched. I, I was at a party and, you know, it would come out in the newspaper that was struggling. And, and they're like, oh, they... My cousin went there, my nephew, my, my daughter, my aunt. There's so many people have been impacted. If there's anything you can do, John, to, to help or get it back on track, you should do that. So, wow. here I am. I wish I had been keeping tally of how many different companies you've started and then passed on to someone else. Where do these ideas come from? I mean, what's your process in terms of having an idea and thinking, hey, I could start a company to do that? Yeah. I wish I had a magic formula, but I kind of feel like I've stumbled through my career of just seeing kind of a, this change agent, right? That, you know, if they did this, and they yeah. did that, that could really make a difference. Mm -hmm. And I actually look back at every organization I've ever been part of. It was usually about bringing some innovation or a different way of thinking that might transform that industry, whether or not, was, you know, we did infrastructure as a service, right? We, that was a company that we did. And it's now called the cloud, right? But at the time, we didn't know it was the cloud. But, you know, we did things like that. But I guess at the end of the day, I've always resonated to looking at something and saying, is there a different way of doing it? And then wanting to be involved with that. And then I've kind of realized I'm kind of the tip of the spear type of person and kind of there in the early days and 
throwing the elbows and trying to figure it out is part of the struggle that, that part of my tingle is love doing that. So that's kind of been my formula is what is something that's not working and, and can I bring or, or put together something that would make a difference? And I think a lot of times in my career, I thought that that difference had to be in technology. Well, if I could talk back to that young John, I'd say, yeah, technology is the medium that you may use to make a difference in lives. So don't forget that part. So that's kind of how I get there. Is, and then when I look at this next time around with 1150 Academy, it's, you know, the industry has changed a lot in the four and five years I've been gone. Uh, boy, I just get that itch again. I can just see, oh, we could do this and we could do this. And, and I think this tremendous opportunity to partner with higher ed is something that's really wasn't there the first time around. But this time, I feel like there's a much more openness in higher ed how we can be a strategic partner. That's encouraging. <laughs> it's good. It also seems like a lot of the ideas that you've had and the ways of the things get done could be passed along to our students in a more systematic way. Very often people go to college and they kind of see that as a little interlude for the rest of their life, but don't see a connection. So if we could help people begin to generate a sense of purpose and a sense of how to get things done. That would be a tremendous contribution. Yeah, there's this versus problem, I like to think. There's education and there's training. And I think a lot of times people, usually when they're chasing money, will say that they're the same thing, but they're very different. I'm going to give you a little, little story here. I don't think it's too blue for the <laughs> podcast, but I think it'll nail down the differences between education and training. At some time in your life, you probably had a fifth grader involved, right? Whether or not it's your child or your niece or nephew. And they go to school and school sends back a note and says, next week, we're going to be starting some sex education. And we want you to know that. So in case questions come home, that you'll be prepared to have the conversation that you want to have with your child. And I think we're all fine with that today. But if that same note came back and said, sex training, you would probably pause <laughs> and want to ask some questions. So, so education and training are different. And I like to think that education is really teaching people how to think and training is teaching people how to do. And it's when those two things come together of thinking and doing is when the really great journeys and great things happen. I love that analogy. And I love that story as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it does. It, it kind of catches you a little bit, but you're like, uh, yeah, I'd want to know yeah. more about that. Right? Mm -hmm. So, John, you're a guy who thinks a lot about the future. Now, dipping your toe into higher ed, what are some of the things you see in the future or things that should be in the future? I think that the next 10 years is going to be a significant change in higher education. And there is a lot of pressures, I think, that are kind of coming down to this reflection point. And so you're going to have those who will try to focus on the past. And I'm going to triple down on the way we used to do it. And I think it's going to be a very difficult road for them. So I think there's a lot of innovation that's, that's being forced for many, many, many reasons. You know, if I was talking to any leader in higher ed today, 
you know, a lot of times I've talked to them and they just start bringing up all the bad metrics. It's like, you know, we have a 10 or 15% reduction in who's coming into college because we just don't have the people anymore, right? There's just less people. You can't manufacture them instantly. It takes like 18 years to get them there, right? So you have this and you have people dropping out and there's all these metrics. But I always say, you know, if you took that graph, if you had that in a graph, if you turned it upside down, what you really could see is the actual, the opportunities. Well, how can we change what we're doing that's reflective of giving them an alternative path to actualization and just kind of innovate our way through it? And I look at 1150 Academy and other things that are coming down the pipe where that they're, they're just saying, we're, we're going to find new ways of, of getting to a different outcome or a better outcome. So that's the first thing I want to say to higher ed is, you know, take all the bad metrics and turn them upside down to see the opportunity. The second thing I think that we're going to see is that, you know, you used to compete, you know, if you think about industry, you used to compete with the, the guy across the street or the company across town or, or in another state. Now it's a global uh, competition. So education is going to have to move at industry velocity. And I have this thing I say, you know, education has to get past selling four-year apartments on a 30-year mortgage. And, and what I mean by that <laughs> is with funding and everything else, you have to find a way to provide lifetime value. Mm-hmm. The days of a two or four-year stop, and we're going to teach you how to think and see you later. I think it's going to be more of here's a two or four years as a launching pad for a lifetime relationship with us in which we're going to continue to to help you refine the way you think, but also maybe enable some skills about the things that you do as you go through your journey. So I think how that's done, you know, someone said, well, we've always had that, but I think that they're going to have to continue to reposition and repackage that, particularly on the financial pressures that are are coming. Mm And you think about higher ed, the people who are attracted to get into higher ed and stay there are people who love ideas and, and love to think about things. But I think we have a significant shortage of doers yeah. in higher ed. Yeah, and, and the, the pressure is that the doers are in tremendous demand. And for a doer to get involved in higher ed comes with an opportunity cost. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, I know it's not all about the numbers, but if you have someone that says, listen, you come in here and, and you could be a professor and we'll pay you $80,000. You can go to industry and make 180. They're probably an industry. And if you think about industry with this more and more pressure, I think you're going to start coming at higher ed to, to pick off their best and brightest and bring them back and pull them into industry. Yeah, I'm trying to get off on a tangent here, but in the 80s and 90s, there was this movement in large organizations that if you just would cut 10% of your workforce every year, you can make your numbers. And the numbers look great. You know, I like to think of leadership through Excel, that people were just numbers. And in the short term, that looked pretty good and a lot of celebration for that. But, you know, the people at the top never cut themselves. They always cut in the middle. And so what's happened is we have cut the middle of the doers, right? The people that are closest to, you know, like in the military terms, the, the non-commissioned officers or in, in the mid-level managers have been cut. And now we're paying the price. And so where that goes to this is as those companies and industry gets more and more pressure to find leaders in the middle who can think and do closest to the problems, 
they're probably going to look at higher ed and start continuing to pull people out. And higher ed is going to have to find a way to be a great employer and manage this gap because it can't always just be about the reward. It has to be that whole journey of, you know, remember the five things of the purpose, right? That means that you have to put them in a place that allows them to do what they do and maybe a culture of how they want to do it. You're probably going to have to fix some of this relationship between the tingle and jingle. It can't just be all tingle, right? And then you have to give them a vision for wanting to be in higher ed for a career. So anyway, I can get it really excited. But that's, I think, the instead of the burden, just think of it as the opportunity. Yeah. The other regret I have is I haven't been writing down your tremendous slogans. I know. <laughs> the, the, uh, I there's an idea for another company, slogans.com. Yeah, I have lots of isms, right? <laughs> yes. I, I really communicate that, well. Yeah, I think one of the things I don't want to miss here, you know, I think education needs to find a way to monetize the learn the earn transition. I use the word monetization about because of money and funding is what they're looking for. A lot of times under some of the pressures that they have, we could talk for a long time about the cost of, of higher education. Then I have a whole story about how they got there, right? But at the end of the day, you're going to have to find a way to provide a lifetime of relationship and that learn to earn. You know, a lot of times I think higher ed got too focused on graduation and degree obtainment and not about actualization after the degree. And that's the place, that's the opportunity. That's where they're going to find some of the opportunities and solutions to solve their long-term needs. I've always been disappointed in, in having conversations with students as they approach graduation and you ask them the typical question, what are you going to do after you graduate? And so many of them have no idea. And the, the typical response is, well, I'm going to move back home for a year and figure that out. We should be helping them along the way to begin thinking about their options yeah, as well, to what they I, might do after they graduate. Yeah. I've always felt that a couple of things going on there, but one, this is the conversation that needs to be happening right in the middle of the journey with higher ed. And that when they actually, by the time they hit graduation, their foot is already in their first opportunity. I think the other thing you're going to see, and you'll hear more about this for 1150 Academy, I promise, is that somehow apprenticeship became a dirty word in the United States over a period of time. I went over and did some time in Europe during my sabbatical. And, um, and I think that apprenticeships are gonna come back around and it's going to be that learn the earn opportunity transition and for higher ed to use some of their superpowers to help on that transition. And the other part, right, it's easy to just keep throwing rocks at higher ed. But let's not forget that industry used to have robust training programs and onboarding programs. And they've all, you know, underinvested there. And I think we're going to start seeing them. They're going to have to invest, right, to be able to build their, their workforce. Right? So it's going to be a, a partnership, and it's not just higher ed's problem to solve. It's going to be everybody. Hmm. Well, John, this has been an amazing conversation. You have so much to share and so many great insights. It's been fun. Uh, thank you. I maybe give you a little final thought, I think. Important to me, but I also think important to higher ed and I think important to everybody who's involved and the, the development of, of a journey, not only your journey, but everyone's journey. And I attribute this to a great friend of mine, uh, Bob Alcorn, who was my COO my first time around. And 
and actually was my boss way back in the day, right? So just a tremendous individual. But we were, we were actually going after a grant and someone asked us like, at the end of the day, what are you guys trying to do? And, and it was, and it was like, how do you come up with like, this is why we're doing, this is what we're doing. And Bob just kind of blurted out, I think, with a pure intention of heart. And, and it was just frustration, but it was, he said, you know, so often we get caught up in trying to build a monument, right? And buildings and, you know, all these great things of monuments. He said, we're just trying to build monuments that walk around. And I think that's probably really the essence. And I think about what I'm involved with now. And I think what we should all be thinking about uh, what our intentions are is how do we just build monuments of people who are walking around and, and making a tremendous difference. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm really enjoying about where I'm at right now. Well, I'm thinking all the way back to the beginning and the five areas of purpose, and you can go ahead and sign up me, Brad and Mike for whatever purpose-driven resources you have and walk us through. So Purpose HQ, uh, mm -hmm. we developed a thing called a, the Purpose Gap Matrix which is an experience of answering those five questions. Oh, nice, nice. So when Indiana Westlane asked me to do 1150 Academy, I said, well, I'll do it, but only if I can bring all the Purpose HQ stuff back into the classroom. And so we have this program where it's kind of like, why do you behave the way you do? What's holding you back? And what we're doing is we're using psychometrics, right? Behavior, emotional yep. intelligence, soft skills and values and cognitive potential. So we're using the science of that and we're putting it in the classroom. And at the end, an 1150 Academy graduate comes out with this thing we're kind of calling the purpose ID. A lot of times industry invests a tremendous amount of, of money in pre-qualification, pre-assessments, things of that nature. Uh, and I could talk for a long time about the value in some of those, but the idea is like, you know, why don't we do that here on this side so that we can help them not only this discovery of themselves, right? I like to say, you know, how close are you to finding your journey? It's like this far, right? Between these two ears. <laughs> you just gotta, you're, just, you're that close, right? And so if we can help people understand who they are, you know, I have this thing, you define who you are, not what you say yes to, but what you say no to. And what do you say no to is something that's a violation of your personal values, right? It's like putting yourself in a role that doesn't resonate about what it is that you do. Things like that. So purpose gap matrix, and I'm happy to, to give it to you, but it's where you take those five questions and you look at your role today. And if the role is a perfect alignment, that's a five. If it's worse than bad, like a dumpster fire, that's a negative one and any number in between. So it's really like, you know, Tiffany, the role that you have today, is it what you do? Five, the negative one, you put a number on it. The way that you do it, and how the organizations ask you to do it by the negative one. Why are you doing it? Money versus tingle. Right? Do you feel like you're growing? Can you see yourself in this role over the next one to three years? Entitled, autonomy, authority. All I did was I just took the purpose gap matrix questions, right? And you add that score up. I, here's the thing. If you add all those five numbers up and it's single digits or below, might be time to go. If it's 20 or higher, that's a yes you should lean into. And if it's in the middle, I call the transform area, find the lowest number and say, what has to change to get you where you need to go, right? So that's about you finding your journey. So 
So that's what we're putting inside 1150 Academy. And we're going to be doing this thing called the draft, right? Where companies are going to come in and draft people out of the academy. And this is their draft card. This is who I am. So a lot of times coming out of higher ed, you don't know who you are. You don't know what you want to be, but you might have an inkling about who you are, right? And who you're not. You know? So anyway, we've got a whole other podcast of psychometrics <laughs> and using them for Yeah. And I think that will happen, John, in the industry. future. I think that will happen. Yeah. I anyway. see there's a part of me that's like, wow, I'm so glad we got John first because I can hear other people listening in like, I want John on my podcast and I want John on my podcast. Well, <laughs> we had him first. I need to do more of them. You know, my challenge has always been every time I make something about me, it never is, is satisfying. And, and so I try to keep, you know, one of my frustrations when 1150 Academy was struggling was there's an article that came out in the Indie Star and it said, Scott Jones's whatever academy is looking for a new operator and is failing. And the reason I was really frustrated was, you know, it's a conversation I had with Scott Jones. It's not your academy. It's not my academy, not John Qualls' academy, right? It's this thing that's, you know, supposed to solve this problem. And I have a stewardship to be involved. And, and where I got frustrated was, that's what I know we built in the beginning. And, you know, he kind of took it another way, which is his prerogative. And it became about, Scott Jones is this and other things. And to me, that it just never adds up for me, right? So I think that's the opportunity. I want to do more podcasts as long as can't miss the, the message. So that's been always my, my challenge is not to fall in that trap of thinking I'm the world's greatest of anything, right? Just, just another guy just trying, trying to make a difference. So thought it was great. Your sense of humility in pursuing that comes across very clearly. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I got lots of isms, but I used to worry about my reputation. Someone told me, I said, reputation is the world's interpretation of your character. And character is the only thing you actually have complete control of. Right. So is it was another one. Um, someone asked an older person, said, what should I be in my life? He said, why don't you be a good person? It's in high demand and short supply. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I just thought that was a good one. So, you know, you aspire, right? Keep, and I'm not perfect, but keep working on it. Well, this has been a great conversation. We're already planning future conversations with John. Thanks for being here, John. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for doing what you do. I really appreciate you and I appreciate being part of your journey as well. Thank you. Well, Brad and I, Mike as well, are going to be back next week on the Digital to Learn podcast with a new guest. We hope to see you there. In the meantime, please like and share this podcast so we can keep it going. Thanks. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.